Would you please turn with me in your Bible to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke? Going to be stepping away from 1 Corinthians this morning to reflect upon the topic of thanksgiving. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And we'll be reading, of course, from the English Standard Version. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Question 160 of the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, What is required of those that hear the word preached? It answers, It is required of those that hear the word preached, that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God, meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. So let us stand together at this time for the reading of God's holy word, and let us receive it this morning with faith, love, and meekness, hiding it in our hearts, and bringing forth its fruit in our lives. This is God's holy word from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy gospel, sealing it upon our hearts. Please be seated. As we work our way through this portion of scripture this morning, we're going to be focusing on this topic of the rarity of gratitude. And we're going to follow the flow of this passage under three headings. First, the misery of the lepers, verses 11 through 13. Second, the cleansing of the lepers, verse 14. And finally, the response of the lepers who are cleansed, verses 15 through 19, a response indeed that demonstrates the rarity of gratitude. So let's begin this morning with our first heading, the misery of the lepers. And notice again what it says in verses 11 through 13. 
On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It can be rather hard for us today to understand the misery of these lepers. It's hard to put into perspective their desperate, wretched, pitiable condition. And perhaps the, the reason that is so hard is because it's a condition that is very unfamiliar to us. Um, and so let's just try to take a moment here uh, to acquaint ourselves with it. John MacArthur does a a very good job of defining leprosy for us, and so I'm going to quote him here at some length. He writes, Leprosy, or Hansen's disease, is known from ancient writings from China, India, and Egypt, and from mummified remains from Egypt. It was common enough in Israel to warrant extensive regulation in the Mosaic law of those suffering from it and related skin diseases. Leviticus 13 and 14. The disease is caused by the bacterium, Mycobacterium leprae, discovered by the Norwegian scientist G.H.A. Hansen in 1873. It was the first bacterium to be identified as the cause of a human disease. The bacterium was communicable through touch and breath. MacArthur continues, Leprosy attacks the skin, peripheral nerves, especially near the wrists, elbows, and knees, and mucous membrane. It forms lesions on the skin and can disfigure the face by collapsing the nose and causing folding of the skin, leading some to call it lion's disease due to the resulting lion-like appearance of the face. Contrary to popular belief, Leprosy does not eat away the flesh. Due to the loss of feeling, especially in the hands and feet, people with the disease wear away their extremities and faces unknowingly. The horrible disfigurement caused by leprosy made it greatly feared and caused lepers to be outcasts cut off from all healthy society for protection. Now, here we're told in our text that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, that he entered a random village, the name of which we aren't given, and that there in that village he encountered these pitiable lepers. He encountered this group of, of wretched, desperate lepers, and the details of this group um, highlight the extent of their misery. For instance, we're told that at least one of them was a Samaritan, and that means that we could probably assume that the others were Jews. The Samaritans and the Jews, of course, had no dealings with one another. They were hostile toward each other, and yet here you have these two peoples that utterly hate one another, joined together, united in their misery. A Jewish leper wasn't a Jew first, he was a leper. A Samaritan leper wasn't a Samaritan first, he was a leper. 
Both had been utterly disowned by their own people and formed into a miserable people of their own. Lepers. Alexander McLaren writes, The common misery drove them together. In spite of racial hatred, as in a flood, wolves and sheep will huddle close on a bit of high ground. Perhaps they had met in order to appeal to Jesus, thinking to move him by their aggregated wretchedness. Or possibly they were permanently segregated from others and united into a hideous fellowship. So here you have this conglomerate of lepers, hideous and miserable and wretched. Now, the misery of this group of lepers is also emphasized by the fact that they were, they were standing off at a distance. And that's perfectly consistent with the Mosaic law. In Leviticus 13, verses 45 through 46, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So again, these lepers had been completely cut off from their people. They're living alone outside the camp, standing at a distance. Now, do you think these lepers understood the extent of their misery? Do you think that they understood the extent of their desperate need? Is it not their awareness of their misery and their desperate need that compels them to cry out in one accord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us? Is that not the cry of those compelled by utter misery? Is it not the cry of those compelled by desperate need? Were they not compelled to fly to Christ in order to be cleansed? Were they not compelled to cling to him as their only hope? It would be madness indeed to deny their misery, would it not? It would be madness to deny their desperate need. Their misery and need are plain for anyone with eyes to see. Their misery and need are, are tangible and crippling. Their misery and need are, are evident and obvious. They were cut off from everyone else in misery. Cast outside of the camp, condemned unclean. Now as horrifying as their misery appears to us, it pales in comparison to the misery of our sin. It pales in comparison to our desperate need for cleansing. For while leprosy cuts off from physical communion with others, while it cuts off the unclean from physical communion with others, while it produces many miseries in this life, 
Sin cuts off the unclean from spiritual communion with God, resulting in the miseries of this life, death itself, and the pains of hell forever. Leprosy pales in comparison to the misery of sin. The 19th question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the misery of that estate wherein two man fell? It answers, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Does not the misery of leprosy pale in comparison to sin? Does it not pale in comparison to our desperate need for cleansing? Does it not pale in comparison to our sinfully leprous souls? What is the wearing away of of extremities and faces unknowingly compared to, to the eternal pains of hell? One of the great tragedies in our day, one of the great heartbreaks in our day, is that so few seem to have a sense of the misery of sin. So few seem to have a sense of their spiritual leprosy. J.C. Ryle writes, The bulk of mankind have no sense of sin. They do not feel their spiritual disease. They are not conscious that they are lost and guilty and hanging over the brink of hell. Are there any among us today who fail to understand our misery? Are there any among us today who fail to understand our desperate Need? Are there any of you who fail to understand that the only thing, the only thing that keeps you from descending into the abyss of hell to suffer eternally for your sin and rebellion is the patience and long suffering of God who desires none of you to perish but all to come to repentance? If we don't acknowledge our misery, if we don't acknowledge our desperate need, then we won't be compelled to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy. If not compelled by utter misery, if not compelled by desperate need, then we won't fly to Christ in order to be cleansed. We won't cling to Christ as our last and only hope. It's impossible to do so without a sense of our misery. Don't be deceived by a world that proclaims health when there isn't any. Don't be deceived by a world that dismisses this leprous disease of sin. Don't be deceived by a world that says that God is indifferent toward it. If you don't acknowledge your misery, if you don't acknowledge your desperate need, if you don't repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you won't be cleansed. 
That means that, that if you die, you will be cut off forever to endure the eternal wrath and curse of God. That means that you'll endure the eternal torments and the pains of hell forever. For whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Are you aware of the depths of your misery this morning? Are you aware of of the depths of your desperate need? Are you aware of your sinfully leprous soul's uncleanness before God? Then fly to Jesus Christ in order to be cleansed. Cling to Jesus Christ as your last and only hope. Just as these lepers acknowledge their condition, acknowledge yours and cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy. And that brings us here to our second heading this morning. The cleansing of the lepers. Notice what it says in verse 14 of our text. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's incredible to see the compassion with which our Lord Jesus Christ deals with those in misery. He sees it clearly for what it is. He sets his eyes upon it. He doesn't look away from it. And he seeks to relieve it. He seeks to relieve those who are miserable. He seeks to restore them, to renew them, to undo the effects of the fall. This is a constant theme throughout Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Matthew 15, verse 32, it says, Then Jesus called to his disciples, And said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Is not the heart of our Lord tender toward those who are in misery? Is it not the compassion with which he looks upon these lepers in our text? It says that when he saw them, when he, when he saw them in their misery, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, he commanded them to go and show themselves to the priests. Now that's exactly what the law would have required for those who were cleansed. In Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 3, which Brother Troy read to us this morning, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. 
In other words, the the leprous person who had been cleansed from his leprosy would go to the priest who would examine him and declare him to be clean. And so our Lord Jesus Christ commands them to, to go and to show themselves to the priests in order to be declared clean. Now, knowing the extent of their misery, what do you think these lepers did? They immediately went to the priests. They hoped to be cleansed and delivered from all of their misery. And indeed, our text tells us that as they went, they were cleansed. Our Lord looked upon them in their misery, and he had compassion, and he healed them. Is this not the same Jesus Christ who looks upon the misery of our sin? Is it not the same Jesus Christ who looks upon our desperate need? Is it not the same Jesus Christ who looks upon our sinfully leprous souls with compassion? Is he not willing to cleanse us? Is he not willing to make us clean? In his classic work, The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth, Thomas Goodwin describes the compassion of Christ toward us. And commenting on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Commenting on this verse, Goodwin writes, There is comfort concerning such infirmities, in that your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. Christ, he takes part with you, and is so far from being provoked against you, as all his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it. Yea, his pity is increased the more towards you, even as the heart of a father is to a child that hath some loathsome disease, or as one is to a member of his body that hath the leprosy. He hates not the member, for it is his flesh, but the disease, and that provokes him to pity the part affected the more. What shall not make for us when our sins that are both against Christ and us shall be turned as motives to him to pity us the more? The object of pity is one in misery whom we love. And the greater the misery is, the more is the pity when that party is beloved. Now of all miseries, sin is the greatest And whilst yourselves look at it as such, Christ will look upon it as such only also in you. And he, loving your persons and hating only the sin, his hatred shall all fall, and that only upon the sin, to free you of it by its ruin and destruction. But his bowels shall be the more drawn out to you. And this as much when you lie under sin as under any other affliction. Therefore, fear not what shall separate us from Christ's love. Oh, beloved, if you acknowledge your misery and cry out to Jesus Christ, 
Does he not stand ready and willing right now to make you clean? If he saw the lepers in their misery and cleansed them, will he not much more cleanse your sinfully leprous soul? Did he not shed his own blood at the cross to cleanse your sins? Did he not bear your sin in his body to make you clean? Did he not take upon himself the misery of your sin, death itself, and the pains of hell? Then hear the command of Christ this morning. Repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered and died to cleanse you from all of your sins. He suffered and died and rose again from the dead. He sits right now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you with compassion. And if you believe his holy gospel, he will make you clean. He will wash away all of your sins and cleanse your soul. He stands ready and willing this morning to make you clean. So acknowledge your misery and cry out to Christ for mercy. Now that brings us here to our third and final heading this morning. The response of the lepers who are cleansed. Notice what it says in verses 15 through 19. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What is it about the sinful condition of man that causes such miserable creatures who are so desperately dependent upon God's mercy to be ungrateful? Someone once said that even a dog knows and licks the hand that feeds it. But the sinfully leprous soul is so hardened by pride that it feels no obligation to return appreciation for mercy received. It's so preoccupied with the personal benefit of blessings that it overlooks the loving hand that graciously bestows them. And thus the dog that licks the hand that feeds it offers us a very simple lesson in gratitude. Can you not sense the saddened dismay in Jesus' words? Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
was no one found to return, praising God with a loud voice, falling on his face at Jesus' feet and giving thanks. Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this one. Oh, the rarity of gratitude. It seems unimaginable that lepers who suffered so long in such misery would feel no obligation to return appreciation for mercy received. It seems seems inconceivable that so many of those who were cleansed from this leprous disease would feel no need to return and give God thanks. If ever there were a sign of a of a dead, unregenerate heart, would this not be it? To be selfishly so preoccupied with the personal benefit of blessings as to overlook the loving hand that graciously bestows them? Indeed, only one of the ten, only one of the ten displayed the evidence of a living regenerate heart by returning and giving God thanks. Only one of the ten displayed the fruit of saving faith by returning appreciation for mercy received. In fact, in verse 19 of our text, it says, And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. In the Greek, that phrase literally says, your faith has saved you. And that seems to make more sense in the context uh, because these other lepers were physically healed as well. They were also made well, but without any evidence, without any evidence or sign of saving faith, like this, this one Samaritan who returned. It was only this one who returned to praise God with a loud voice, It was only this one who returned to fall on his face at Jesus' feet. It was only this one who returned to give thanks to God in worship. Now, lest we we rush too quickly um, into judgment, lest we deal with the ingratitude of these other nine lepers too harshly, Uh, we would be wise uh, to examine ourselves. We would be wise to examine our own hearts. J.C. Ryle writes, with piercing insight, the best of us are far too like the nine lepers. The best of us are far too like the nine lepers. Few indeed are to be found who are not continually hiding their mercies under a bushel and setting their wants and trials on a hill. The widespread thanklessness of Christians is the disgrace of our day. It is a plain proof of our little humility. It is a plain proof of pride to be ungrateful, is it not? It is a plain proof of pride and little humility. For it fails to acknowledge the depths of the misery 
from which we've been delivered. It fails to acknowledge that we were once in a desperate, wretched, pitiable condition. We were once condemned to die, cast outside the camp with a sinfully leprous soul. We were once guilty and unclean before the judgment seat of a holy God. We were once going to suffer the eternal torment and pains of hell forever. Do we not have far greater reason than these lepers to be grateful? Do we not have far greater reason to give thanks to God? To fall on our faces at Jesus' feet? And yet, how many of us are so often preoccupied with the personal benefit of blessings that we overlook the loving hand that graciously bestows them? How many of us are often so preoccupied with setting our wants and trials on a hill that we hide our mercies under a bushel concealed and unseen. Oh, how many of us are frequently ungrateful. J.C. Ryle writes, let us pray for a deeper sense of our own sinfulness guilt, and undeserving. This, after all, is the true secret of a thankful spirit. It is the man who daily feels his debt to grace and daily remembers that in reality, he deserves nothing but hell. This is the man who will be daily blessing and praising God. Thankfulness is a flower which will never bloom well excepting upon a root of deep humility. Thankfulness is a flower which will never bloom well excepting upon a root of deep humility. Oh, may God cultivate such deep humility in all of our hearts so that we would be overflowing and abounding with gratitude so that we would fall on our faces at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. It's amazing to think about the life of, of Martin Rinkhart. He wrote the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, and he, he wrote it during the Thirty Years' War. And there are some estimates that during that time, he conducted up to 40 funerals a day, including the funeral of his own wife. Think about that. Forty funerals a day. And he lost his own wife. Even in the midst of that darkness and death, even in the midst of, of the miseries of this life, he could still give thanks to God. That was the flower of his faith blooming upon a root of deep humility. He wanted to return and praise God with a loud and booming voice. He wanted to fall on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, because he understood the depths of the misery from which he was delivered. He understood that he was delivered from the pains of hell through the death of Jesus Christ 
And he could do nothing other than to give God thanks who worked all things together for his good and who would one day bring him to glory, removed from all of the miseries of this life. In the words of Martin Rinkhart, now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son in him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom heaven and earth adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. As horrifying as the misery of leprosy appears to us, it pales in comparison to the misery of our sin. It pales in comparison to our desperate need for cleansing. For while leprosy cuts off the unclean from physical fellowship with others, our sin cuts off the unclean from communion with God, resulting in the miseries of this life, death itself, and the pains of hell forever. Leprosy pales in comparison to the misery of sin. It's only when we acknowledge the misery of our sin it's only when we acknowledge our desperate need that we're compelled to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy. If we don't fly to Jesus Christ and cling to him, then we cannot be cleansed. But if we do, if we do fly to Christ and cling to him, then we could be certain that he'll receive us with compassion. He'll cleanse us just as he cleansed the lepers. He'll cleanse us and heal our sinfully leprous souls. But when he does, when we're cleansed from the misery of our sins, let us not run off into the world like these nine ungrateful lepers. Let us return to praise God with a loud voice. Let us fall at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Let us give thanks to God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. For he plucked us from the fiery pit. He delivered us from the pains of hell. He heard our cry and cleansed our souls completely. He had compassion upon us and granted us everlasting life. Oh, may we give thanks to a God who would bestow such mercy upon sinners such as ourselves, who are so unworthy. So let us bow our hearts before him, our compassionate and merciful God, acknowledging the depths of the misery of our sin, trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ alone to cleanse us, and may we strive by God's grace against the rarity of gratitude. Oh, our holy God and Father, 
we acknowledge before you the depths of our sinfulness and how our hearts are so often just, how, how they so often just seem to be dead. Oh God, we ask that you would quicken our hearts by your spirit so that we would indeed give you the thanks that you are due, that we would return to you with appreciation for the mercy received, that our hearts would well up with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving, that we would indeed fall at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Help us, our God and Father. We need your spirit to quicken our hearts. We need your spirit to apply the precious promises of the gospel to us so that we would indeed remember the misery from which we've been delivered and so that we would give all glory, honor, and praise to you, so that we would give thanksgiving to you. Help us to be thankful this week, our God and Father. Help us to be thankful through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to be thankful in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our compassionate Savior, that we pray. Amen.